Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. your Bibles. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 3. Deuteronomy chapter 3. I want to talk to you today about the subtle giant of complacency. I'm going to look at one verse and I'll give you the background on it as we go into this. It says, for only Og, the king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giant. So this is the final giant that the children of Israel have to face before the promised land is occupied. It says that his bed was an iron bed, nine cubits or approximately, I'm estimating here, it's actually 13.6 inches if you want to be specific, but about 14 feet in its length and seven foot in its width. According to their standard, it was in cubits, but we're talking in feet. This bed was 14 feet long and Seven foot wide. This is the first king size bed you see in the Bible. The subtle giant of complacency. It's no secret that the children of Israel, in order to occupy the promised land, had to face giant after giant. Their first scouting of Canaan came back with the report that they were but grasshoppers in the sight of these giants. It's well known that these are not gentle giants. These giants are not just massive in their stature, but they are fierce warriors. They are from fortified cities. They have mighty armies that surround them. These were significant places of opposition that the children of Israel had to work through. We would know, for example, that Goliath, when he's described, it tells us not just his height, but it would go into the details of his armor, the weight of his armor. It would tell us the size of his weaponry, his sword, his spear, and his shield were all massive compared to the average size of any type of weaponry. And so when we hear about Goliath and we hear about the other dozens of giants that the children of Israel face, we're we're constantly caused to think about and imagine that these, these were not just average problems that they had to work through. These, these were things that stood out. They were significant problems and obstacles they had to work through. And the Bible says that every giant they faced, we would know right before that verse that about 60 cities had to be overcome. So every giant, About 60 giants and fortified cities were overcome and conquered. And now finally they're down to the last one. Everything they fought for, everything they dreamed for, everything they believed God for, the promise that they had received, the dream that they had imagined now is right in front of them. They can see it, almost reach out and touch it. They're one giant away. Imagine after 400 years 
of slavery. After 400 years of bondage, being spectacularly delivered from Egypt, walking into the wilderness, watching God supernaturally swallow up the Egyptian army in the Red Sea, watching the protection of God, then moving into the wilderness for 40 years and God supernaturally providing for them. If they were hungry, God fed them. If they were thirsty, God found a way to get them something to drink. If they were hot, God would cool them off. If they were cold, God would heat things up. Everything that they needed supernaturally provided. Though they were not trained in any military, exploits. They would face giants and cities and God would give them divine strategies and plans on how to overcome obstacles and giants that were much greater and much more fierce than them. And everyone they faced, God gave them the victory. Everyone they came up against, God somehow caused them to maneuver and overcome every single one of them. But their one giant away. One final giant they've got to get through. His name is King Og. And you would think that this final giant would be the most fierce. You would think this final giant would be the mightiest. You would think that he would cause giants like Goliath to look like a tiny shrimp. You would think that his weaponry and his armor would overshadow any giant they had ever faced before. I mean, this is the last giant. This is the last resistance they would face. They're on the brink, so close, about to move into the promised land. This means so much to them. This means they no longer have to pack up their tents and move around. No more nomadic lifestyle. This represents that they're going to move into a place where they own their own lands. They can have their own homes. They can grow their own crops in vineyards. This represents stability. This represents permanence. This represents a life of consistency. It's all right in front of them, but they're one giant away. One giant they've got to work their way through. One giant they've got to defeat. And of all the things that you could imagine would describe this last giant, you would think that, that it would be something that would be more impressive. But all we read about is the size of his bed. All we hear about is that this guy had a 14 foot long, seven foot wide bed. Israel is about to go into the promised land. They're about to go into the land flowing with milk and honey. They're about to eat the grapes they've heard about for 40 years that are the size of a man. And the only thing they've got to do is get through this giant who has a king-sized bed. I think this is the point. That some of life's giants that will come your way are extremely subtle. That the most dangerous giants you'll face are not loud. They're not overt. They're not obvious. But they're deceitfully subtle and seductive. Think about this last giant that they face. All we hear about is the size of his bed. That this giant that's trying to overtake them right before they enter the promised land is the subtle giant of complacency. And this giant, if you study it, has lured more victims into its bedchamber than any of the other giants combined. 
You hear a lot about the giant of addiction in our world. And yes, addiction has killed its thousands, but complacency has killed its tens of thousands. You hear about things like unforgiveness and bitterness, how it rips families apart, rips relationships apart. And yes, though bitterness and unforgiveness is a strong giant and it's killed its thousands. Understand complacency is much greater, less hurt about, less talked about, but it's killed its tens of thousands. You can hear about strife and division and how it's ruined churches and pulled things apart. And churches have been impacted negatively through that spirit of strife and division. But much more you'll find that close churches have closed their doors and ceased to exist because of the giant of complacency. Complacency is a subtle giant. It's not an obvious giant, but make no mistake about it. Its goal, its assignment is to absolutely destroy your life and keep you from entering into God's dream and promise for you. Complacency is not comfort. It's not security. It's not safety. A lot of people think that if I'm looking to have a comfortable life, if I'm looking to have a secure life, that that's complacent. No, that's not complacent. There's nothing wrong with wanting a secure, comfortable life. I'm not saying that, that, that it should be your pursuit is to be comfortable, but a lot of people think that that's a negative thing. I think that it's a good thing to be, begin to work hard and think, how can you stabilize your life? But complacency is different. Complacency is when you know something's not right. You know something's off, but yet you do nothing about it. You know that your walk with God is off. You know that spiritually things are off. And it's not that we don't all have ups and downs, we do. It's not that we don't all face obstacles in our walk with God, but yet there's something different about it. It's when you just kind of give up. You kind of just don't care. You kind of say, well, it is what it is. And you just find yourself doing nothing about it. It hits marriages. It's not that we all don't go through some stuff in our relationships, but complacency is where you know a conversation needs to be had. You know a talk needs to be had. And it's going to include confrontation. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And it's not going to be fun. And it might even cause tears. And it might even cause some separation for a little bit. But you know the conversation needs to be had. Things are not okay. Things are not good. But you just refuse to have that conversation. You know it needs to go in a different way, but you just pull back and do nothing about it. It's complacency. With the dream, the call of God on your life, where God's wanting to take you, you know if you settled into defeat. No one has to tell you about it. No one maybe even can see it on the outside because this is not the kind of defeat that is recognizable externally. This is not a bloody, gruesome defeat that you can tell when you look at someone that things are off. As a matter of fact, what makes complacency so dangerous is you cannot see it externally. You can't see it if you just look at the outside appearance of someone's life. Why? Because this is a subtle giant that gets a hold of people. You got to go on the inside and begin to find how they begin to allow complacency to settle in. Complacency is a cuss word for the Christian. 
Complacency should irritate you. It should frustrate you. It should scare the hell out of you. It should, it should keep you up at night. It should keep you from being able to, 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 to settle because when complacency gets in, it's the beginning of the end in any area of your life. I call it Goldilocks Christianity. You know how Goldilocks, how she went into the three bears home and she goes and she eats the first bowl of porridge. She says, oh, it's too hot. Then she goes and eats the other one. Oh, this one's too cold. And then finally, this one's just right. Then she wants to sit down, kick her feet up. She goes and sits down in this chair. Oh, this chair's too big. And then she goes and sits down in this one over here. Oh, this chair's too small. And then she sits in this. Oh, this one's just right. But now she's tired. And so she goes, tries the, the first bed. Oh, this one is too hard. And then she goes and tries the other one. This one is too soft. And then she goes to that. This one is just right. And she falls asleep. Think about how many of us are just like that. When we think about the things of God, we think about even church and think, oh, this one's too hot. You know, they, they preach too hot. They preach too hard. They preach too much truth. They, they challenge me to, oh, this one's too soft. It's too watery. It don't have enough this and it don't have enough. And we're, oh, look for this. Oh, this, this one's too big. It's too big. I don't, I, I get lost in the crowd. This one's too small. They don't have enough for my family and all the little details of my life. Oh, this, this one over here is too hard. It's too hard. This one over here is too, th-. and we just go back and forth. But listen, this is what the enemy he's trying to do in all of the judgments that you're making everything's to this or to that he's trying to lull you to sleep he's trying to seduce you into that 14 foot long seven foot wide bed of complacency the devil if he wants to stop you does not have to use sin he just has to begin to get that attitude to grip you where everything in life is supposed to be just exactly the way you want it. Don't challenge me. Don't push me. Don't allow me to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't allow me to, to be uncomfortable in any way. And I felt the Lord as I was preparing this message, almost like I haven't in a long time, challenging me to tell this church, don't fall victim to the subtle giant of complacency. We fought too hard. We've given too much. We've overcome so much. We've got to keep saying, God, we're not done until you're done. Romans 11 says, it's time to wake from our slumber. The greatest threat that we have against our life isn't hell or the devil or sin or demons. It's the giant, the subtle, subtle giant of complacency. The king size bed says things like kick back. You've done enough. You sacrificed enough. You've served enough. You've given enough. You've prayed enough. You've reached enough. It's enough, 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 enough. Come on over here. Look at this bed. Isn't it comfortable? Isn't it impressive? You deserve this bed. Come on over into this bed. Life doesn't have to be that intense. Life doesn't have to be that extreme. You don't have to do all that. You've done enough. Just now it's your turn to go ahead and just settle in. Amos chapter 6 speaks of those who have grown complacent in Zion. Zion represents the church. It says in that chapter, if you read it, it gives so many descriptions But it talks about how they're in a dry place spiritually, but they're in a rich place materialistically. 
Again, which tells us complacency isn't something you can see externally. Externally, you can be rich. Externally, you can be blessed. Externally, you can have everything that you need going the way that you imagined it. But on the inside and spiritually, you are dry. The Bible says when that happens, they decided to live a life. And it's spiritually speaking. This is the imagery that's given spiritually, not naturally. It's not talking about resting. It's saying they're lying in their beds, lounging on their couches and reclining at their banquets. Think about it. They have everything they could want externally, but on the inside, they are dying and they're doing nothing about it. They quit fighting the giant of complacency. They got tired. They got weary. They were fatigued and they just gave up and they settled into a complacent lifestyle. You say, Marcus, we all have to rest. We all get tired. I'm not talking about rest. Rest is the biblical concept called the Sabbath. And it's a concept. You have to get the concept of it. Not the religious rigid rule of six days of work, one day of rest. The concept that you work hard and you rest hard. Come on. You, you got you to gotta work hard and you got to play big. It's, it's, it's the way God balances it out. That's why he told the children of Israel seven times a year, throw a feast, throw a big party. Every now and then you've got to enjoy the, the fruit of your labor. That's rest. And God even rested. Worked six days and on the seventh, he rested. You see, the Sabbath concept or a rest principle means to you and I that there should be a place of faith in our life. A place of faith means there's a time that I pull back and I let God do what I can't do. I have the faith that I'm not working, but God is working when I'm not. I'm supposed to get recharged. I'm supposed to get re-energized. Let God carry the weight for a little bit. And then I re-engage, refreshed and renewed and reinvigorated. But complacency is not a place of faith. It's a place of unbelief. It means you pull back. You don't do as much as possible. You do as little as possible. You don't do the maximum in your part of it. You do the minimum. You do as little as possible. And if things aren't working, you throw your hands up and say, well, I guess God's not working. And I guess somebody else isn't pulling their weight too because I'm tired. I'm not doing any more than what I've already done. And that is complacency. Think about it. Here the children of Israel are. They deserve the right to rest. They've deserved the right to pull back. They fought so hard. 60 giants, 60 cities. The nation is about to move into the promised land. And they're one giant bed away. Matthew 13 says, while the farmer slept, the enemy came in and sowed seeds. It's not talking about that you should never sleep. It's saying there was a time that he was to be alert and he turned his back on the harvest and the enemy came in and sowed weeds that would choke out the harvest. Matthew chapter 24 says that while they were sleeping, one was taken and one was left. And the warning in the Bible is in the last days, watch, don't become complacent and pray. Ephesians says the times are evil. Stay alert and stay awake. Think about it. The best place we see this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's got his disciples there with him. 
And he tells them, hey, listen, I'm about to go suffer and die. This is a crucial moment. I need you to pray. I need you to specifically just pray for an hour. Just give me a little bit of time where you're not pulling back. We're so close to the end of this thing. And Jesus goes off and prays and he comes back and they're sleeping and he corrects them. He's like, listen, guys, you can sleep later right now. I need you engaged. And he goes off and they fall asleep again. And and this is what the scripture is showing us that we all will face in the crucial moments of life that subtle giant of complacency. You could have Jesus there in front of you in his flesh and in his body saying, hey, right now is a crucial moment. But complacency is so subtle, it can get a hold of even the people that are closest to Christ. King Og doesn't kill you with a spear. He doesn't kill you with a sword. No weapons are necessary. Just a king-sized bed, 14 foot long and 17 foot wide, an impressive bed called complacency is all he has to use to take most believers out. You know, we hear a lot about sin. You know, you're not supposed to sin. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to compromise. But sin and compromise are the fruit. Complacency is the root. King David, the Bible says he's hanging out on a balcony. He's got his feet kicked up. Got a scotch on the rocks in his hand. And he looks down and he sees Bathsheba. And everybody says, look at David. David committed adultery. David committed murder and killed Uriah, her husband. David did this. David did that. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not, the Bible says there's something that happened first. That's the fruit. That's what happened. The root is, the Bible says, when kings were supposed to be out to war. There was a war going on and he was supposed to be at the battle, but he didn't go to battle when he was supposed to. And because he was complacent, that root set into his life. And that's how the enemy works. Think about Samson. Samson, the Bible says, was strong. He could conquer anybody that came at him until he put his head in the lap of Delilah. When he fell asleep, she cut his hair and he lost his strength. And then when he woke up, he was in chains and the Philistine gouged his eyes out. Think about it. It was before he was ever chained, before he ever lost his vision, the enemy knew how to lull him to sleep. The enemy knew how to use complacency to get into his life. And he just thought he would always be strong. He thought he would always be mighty. He thought he would always be on top of things. But that's not how the enemy works. It's the jab, jab of complacency. And then he throws the knockout punch of of something else that's significant to finally take you and I out. The same God that enabled the children of Israel to look at complacency. To look at King Og, look look at that impressive bed. The same God that gave them the strength, the discernment, the wisdom, and the insight to say, I can't stop right now. We can't let this be the thing that stops us before we enter the promised land. That same God is here today. And because I've served God for 26 years, 
And I've pastored for 14 years. I've been in ministry. All I've done is what I'm doing right now for over 20 years of my life. And I know, I see it with people that love God. They get tired. They get fatigued. They get weary. And I get it. I understand. Sometimes I say to myself, I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to push anymore. I don't, I'm done. I'm good. I've gone far enough. I understand that feeling, but that's where you and I have to come into times like this and say, man, God, somehow you gave the children of Israel the ability to, at the very end, go ahead and give that extra fight, that extra push. You gave them the the ability to press through when most would have pulled back. God, give us that same spirit. Give us that same attitude. Give us that same heart, God, that we would not give up so close to the promised land. I don't think it's an accident that one of the things you see Jesus saying the most was take up your bed and walk. Maybe that is a word for you today. Take up that bed, take up that complacency and go ahead and walk out of that life of just pulling back when you know there's more that God has for you. Complacency. I think about this church. And I think about how many victories we've had. And I wonder, I wonder if we're just sitting in a room like this and we think, oh, look what we've done. Look what somebody else has done. I'm not needed. I've done my part. And we start to settle in to complacency. And I'm so, I'm so afraid many times that we will allow ourselves to think that because of some natural appearance of things looking good, that we can actually lose our fight. You see, the the subtlety of complacency is my concern. Because you can be at the peak, at the top, and complacency grab a hold of you. I was reading in a leadership journal this week about the pilgrims after they had discovered America. And in this leadership journal, it talked about their first five years after they had come to America. It says year one, they built towns, they built churches. Year two, they established council and government and rule of law. Year three, they began to plan expansion. And one of the plans that they proposed was a five-mile road into the wilderness westward. And the people voted the plan down because they said it was a waste of public funds. And in this leadership journal, it talked about how historians report and say, isn't it amazing that the same people that had the vision and the foresight and the courage to see across oceans and could sacrifice their own lives to find this new place, now they can't see five measly miles down the road. Because what happens to all of us We're not saying that you haven't traversed oceans. We're not saying that you haven't sacrificed. I'm not saying that that you have not overcome some things. I'm saying the temptation is to at one season of your life have the vision to see through amazing obstacles. But then in time, that vision shrinks and that king-sized bed lures you in. That spirit of complacency, that giant of complacency starts to lure you in and say, you've done enough, you're good, you're settled. 
relax. And I think that the word of God to this church is just like it was to the children of Israel. Because if you, if you, if you study it, if you go and you look at it, something amazing happened. The children of Israel, when they overcame King Og, they didn't have any weaponry or crowns or robes to grab a hold of because every time they beat a giant like Goliath, they would take his sword, they would take his spear, they'd take his shield, and they would take it to the capital city. And they would take it as a war trophy. So every giant they faced, they, could, they would go and find something that represented that giant and they would bring it back to the capital city as a war trophy. And that's how they did every giant they faced. So that future generations could come and look at the war trophies and see giant number one. Oh, this is what that giant was like. And this is what that giant was like. And this was what was unique about this giant. And they would walk through every single giant. But this giant, all he had was this 14 foot long, seven foot wide bed. So the children of Israel, when they overcame this giant, they took that big giant bed back to the capital city and they used that bed as their war trophy. So think about it. Generations would come. Their children, their grandchildren would come and they would see Goliath's sword and they would see the children of Anakin, which was a tribe of giants that had been defeated. And they would go and they would look at all these giants and they would see the war trophies and they would hear the stories and then they would get to the final giant and they would see that big bed They would say, well, this giant couldn't have been that tough. This giant couldn't have been that great. We don't see any sword. We don't see any weaponry. We don't see any armor. And they would say, oh, no, that's the last giant. That was the most dangerous because it was the most subtle. And they would talk about how that was the final giant they had to get through to go into the promised land. I think about how many times we stop so short of what God wants for us because we don't go ahead and defeat that giant of complacency.